Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is the Drivers Meeting Podcast, hosted by RJ Starcevic and driver and team owner in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, Tommy Joe Martins. To the Drivers Meeting Podcast presented by Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. They have you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. The best, it's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So make sure to get in there for the NBA playoffs as well. It's like we talked about last week getting underway. Tommy Joe's Grizzlies are unfortunately down three to one right now. We were talking about them last <laughs> week. They went up one oh uh to start the to start the series, and now it's been three three L's in a row. But I think they play tomorrow night. They're gonna have to uh they're gonna have to come back, and uh, Dave, Davies Wizards staying alive, huh? Got the win, <laughs> got the win last night. We're all just kind of staying alive, huh? Hey guys, it's, it's, how you guys look, it's not looking great team? on the NBA front, RJ. It's not, it's not looking great for you on the club. Team. Yeah, I, I I root for like I said last week. I root for Derrick Rose wherever he is. So right now I'm rooting for the Knicks to get past the Hawks. They're down three one. So we're all we're all down three one right now here in this. Uh, in this podcast here. So hopefully <laughs> you got to just ha- hope for a little hope and hopefully next week we're not all eliminated. You got to come out with a lot of energy here on the pod. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to need some energy. So make sure to have go for our team's lack of energy. Yeah. 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 We're, we're going to need, yeah. I think all of our teams need some more energy. Wizard showed it last night though. That was good. That was good stuff. For a change. I'm not expecting much more. For a change. So make sure to head on the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook expert. So as you've probably heard, we got an awesome guest here with us today, Davey Siegel. Thanks for coming on with us, man. Great to be on with you guys. I listen to the pod religiously. It's one of my favorite ones that I listen to because, as you guys know, I mean, the NASCAR podcast space is – unnecessarily very crowded i am i am uh, contributing to two of those uh and now i guess this is a third but no great to be on with you guys i love the insight that both of you guys bring it's, it's a great show to listen to so pleasure to be on thanks thank you very much man yeah like you said you got both of your pod your, your podcast going so that's pretty awesome so love to have you on here today as kind of our guest and kind of to join the conversation so we'll start the conversation with this weekend's Coke 600. We had, a, we had a lot of racing this weekend. We had truck racing, Xfinity racing, the Indy 500, uh, but we'll cup race. We'll get to all that uh, as we go throughout the show. But man, Coke 600, uh, we'll start with you, Davey. I mean, what were your initial thoughts uh, of the race? I actually uh, selfishly wanted Larson to actually lead 28 more laps because that very morning on Sirius XM, NASCAR Radio, Channel 90, I predicted that he would lead 350 laps sweep every stage and win. And I was really close. And I usually am bad with my predictions, bad with my fantasy lineups, lose money, all that stuff. But I was pretty damn close with that one. So I was watching the race with my girlfriend and I'm saying, oh man, like, ah, Chase, don't take the lead. She's like, why do you care? You you don't root for anybody. I'm like, I know, but I want to get this prediction right because it was oddly specific and bold. So I was kind of close. But this is kind of what we're used to seeing in the 600, right, guys? I mean, 
Larson did it this year. Kyle Busch did it a couple years ago. Truex did it a couple years ago. This race somehow, some way lends itself to a certain driver and a certain team hitting on the setup and dominating. And rather than, you know, nitpicking and saying, oh, this is a bad race, boring, no passing, kind of like what we've seen in the past, you know, this year at Darlington, even at Dover, I've come to kind of appreciate what I see when there's a dominant performance, whether it's by an organization like Hendrick did at Dover or Charlotte or what Truex did at Darlington as well. I kind of tried to appreciate what we see because I say it's rare, but we're, we are seeing it a lot. So just one of another, another race, another Coke 600 that was very long, but not long by Coke 600 standards, actually. And the best driver, the best team, the fastest car definitely won. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Tommy? I like everybody else on Twitter. Um, obviously I didn't think it was probably the best racing product that I had ever seen, of course, right? If we're going to nitpick this, uh, I think everybody's been very bold and it's easy to criticize the 550 package. I think that's like the low-hanging fruit that is sitting out there for everybody on Twitter to make fun of. Uh, but we can't make fun of what Hendrick Motorsports is doing right now. They're, they are crushing cup-level competition uh, as an organization. Uh, they, they are clear far and away uh, the best racing team in NASCAR right now. And Kyle Larson was the car that was the dominant car, right? And I think Kyle Larson really as a whole has had a, a just such an impressive season. <laughs> when we look at it, 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 the win numbers aren't just like blowing you away uh, like we kind of had earlier uh, last year where we had the big three kind of established fairly early on. We generally are getting that. It's pretty spread out over the course of this year, but the person that seems to be in the hunt for a win more often than not is Kyle Larson. I think that speaks to both him as a driver and also Hendrick Motorsports. And, you know, we just we got an extra hundred miles to notice that dominance uh, this past weekend. Yeah. And and when we talk about you, you mentioned the 550 package. One thing that kind of came to my attention that I hadn't really thought of too much is the lap traffic that we see during the race, especially during the 600. You really only got a few lanes you can pick from, uh, especially when leaders are running up in the PJ one. It's kind of just like a slipstream. You know, you're going by by cars. You kind of have to go to the bottom sometimes to avoid them. But a lot of people are saying the 550 package, you know, because once you lift, you know, once you lose your momentum, especially if you're in a slower car, you you slow down tremendously, you know, and you got to lift to get out of the way of different cars and, and stuff like that. So lap traffic was a big problem. We talk about that a lot, uh, Tommy, in the in the Xfinity series, how it's it's a little more, you know, uh, gritty and competitive sometimes when the Xfinity series uh, gets the lap cars, you know, because you guys are running a different package, but also everyone's fighting in the Xfinity series. I mean, there's there's no more starting parks there's no more you know just hanging around you guys are all going for it so uh was that something that that you noticed kind of from from the cup race that was differently from the packages the lap traffic kind of being a little bit of of a hazard kind of how the track was working as well well i think the gap from the front to the back in the cup series is a lot wider than it is in the xfinity series um you know, we've, we've joked around on the podcast about Mike Harmon racing, uh, getting a top 10 run at Phoenix. I mean, so that's, I love Rick Ware racing. I love what they're doing. I'm not insulting anybody. They're not having a top 10 run, uh, at Coke 600. It's not happening. Like that gap in the equipment, uh, that gap organizationally, <laughs> the difference between them and, uh, Hendrick Motorsports best car, that is an insurmountable gap. Uh, from an equipment standpoint, and you see that play out on track, right? And, and 
of course, it's all the drivers at the front of the field are saying the same thing, right? I've, I've lapped the 66 car 17 times. I've lapped him five times in a stage and all this. And I get that it's frustrating. Like, I get it. As somebody that ran on that racetrack this past weekend at Charlotte, it was actually a really narrow racetrack. And it widened out a bit over the course of the cup race. And it widened out just very slightly over the course of the Xfinity Series race. But really, the bottom was not the preferred groove at all. And when you're going down there as a lap car, and you're giving up that kind of middle lane that was the preferred lane for most guys. All right. Well, you got a 550 horsepower package, and now you're running down on a part of the track that's really pretty dirty because the bottom is not as clean as what the middle is because we're running on the middle all the time. So now you're going down there, your car's not handling worth of crap, and you're giving up the most vulnerable part of these cars. And that's what I have to really stress to everybody here. The place you do not want another race car is on the right rear of your race car. That's it. If somebody gets to your right side in a NASCAR stock car, whether that be a truck, Xfinity car, or a cup car, when they get really close to the outside right rear of the cars, it makes them really loose. So now you're basically telling the lap cars, get out of the way, go to the bottom, and you come block come by with a ton of momentum and blow their doors off from the outside and it's tough for them to hold a line like yeah it's tough to hold a line you're getting all the air taken off your car <laughs> so it's a really tough situation that and, and where i get a little irritated as one of the guys that sits behind the wheel i feel like the people you hear it the most from the most outwardly critical people are the guys that have never driven a car <laughs> that is that far down in performance because the guys that have, guys like Alex Bowman, who has driven for a uh, Red Bull Racing uh, knockoff in BK Racing up there in the Cup Series, where they were up there and, and run around in the back for, for several years, Matt Benedetto, These guys aren't just, just slamming the back of the field all the time. The people that you're hearing do this a lot are Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Busch on the radio, very active about it. And you just... Like, this is not me criticizing them. They're awesome. They are incredible. But they don't probably have the perspective that somebody like De Benedetto, who has driven for the Wood Brothers and also driven for Go Fast, he probably has a little more perspective on and has driven for Curtis Key in the Xfinity series as a start park guy. He probably has a little more perspective on what's going on with their race and why they're out there and why they're you know, floating around, according to them. Well, you know, they're racing for something too. And I think they understand that a little bit more. Yeah, exactly. We, we yeah. love talking about the dynamic of the Xfinity series on, on the show. And, and Davey, I know uh, you, you've probably listened and we've talked about the Xfinity series plenty enough. Like Tommy Joe was just saying right there, kind of like from this, like when I'm watching the Xfinity series qualifying, I do not know. I, I can't just say off the top of my head, who's, who's going to DNQ from the race. Who's going to qualify, you know, in the back. Yeah. It's just, it's so, it's so deep. It's so competitive. So kind of, I mean, what, what, what have your thoughts been watching the Xfinity series this year, especially kind of with the practice, the, the qualifying this weekend, kind of what have you seen from, from the teams, from a dynamic standpoint and all that? Well, I want to thank you guys because frankly, I had a basic understanding of the battle that was going on towards the back end <laughs> of the grid not not even in terms of you know the the 30th to 35th place cars but i'm talking about the owner standings with yeah. you know the 13 the 31 the 77 
all those cars that that little rain shower at Daytona wreak complete havoc on their entire seasons. Yeah. And, you know, then you have something like that's happening this upcoming week with Josh Berry going in that 31 car for Jordan Anderson. I mean, that is a, that's a smart move. That's Harvard right there. You, <laughs> you don't need a degree from Harvard to understand that that is smart. And if I'm the Bassets, I'm saying this is some BS. But if I'm looking at the rule book and I'm the 31, I'm saying – Read them a weep. Don't hate the player. Hate the game because they didn't skirt the rule book. They didn't do anything illegal. They just did their homework, got a really capable, more than capable race winning driver in Josh Berry to go in their car, which has run top 10 in the past couple weeks. Reddick's obviously wheeling the you know what out of that thing. And now they're probably going to be a contender to win the damn race. And I'm not saying they're going to, but I'm saying to be upfront, get that TV time that's valuable get stage points, garner experience for a team that has none coming into the season, that is huge. It is so valuable. Tommy Joe, you obviously know that. And in terms of that specific battle, in terms of owner points and who's going to make the race whenever we have qualifying, which I wish we had more of, you know, I would give up qualifying in the Cup Series for the rest of the year if we had Xfinity qualifying every race for the rest of the year. That's how bad I want it because – This is a battle that I think you guys mentioned it in last weekend's episode. It's an undercovered storyline and it's an underappreciated battle that's going on because it's not the sexy, flashy thing. You know, Ty Gibbs is sexy and flashy because he's winning races as a young 18 year old. Austin Sindrick's the defending champion. Noah Gregson and Daniel Hammock are fighting on pit road after Atlanta. Talking about the 74 car. The 13, 31, step, that's not sexy, but for race fans like us that are probably listening to the show, that means something. And especially for those mechanics that are working on the cars, the drivers behind the wheel, everybody that goes into putting those cars on the racetrack, that is a huge, huge deal. And real quick, I just want to mention a tweet from Josh Balicki that I saw this morning going back to the Cup Series drivers and the disparity with the lap cars and how they were getting quote unquote in the way. I found it interesting what he said. He said, quote, this package talking about the 550 separates us talking about, you know, back marker cars, even more so if we would run high horsepower, low downforce. When we ran the high horsepower package at Darlington, I was shocked how much closer we were to big teams. Now that's not really surprising necessarily because you figure, Okay, 750, more horsepower back in the driver's hands. Makes sense. 550, more downforce, equipment matters more. We understand that. But when you see the battle that Kyle Busch, William Byron, Chase Elliott were in in the closing stages for P2 in the 600, and you had the 52 that was right there, the 51 was right there, and I could just hear Kyle Busch just absolutely (laughs) fuming at these lap cars, which he's done a time or two, as we know. That made it pretty clear to me that Balicki is spot on with this because most places you can tell lap cars are slower and they are in the way sometimes. But when the package is what it is, as Tommy Joe, you mentioned, when the grip level is what it is and where it is in terms of grooves on the racetrack, that disparity is shown to the nth degree. And that's, I think, what we saw on Sunday night. Yeah, there's this weird thing, right, when you're a lap car. As a guy that has been a lap car a lot in my life, there becomes a problem here where now we've got a, let's call it a 40 lap green flag run, right? Realistically, I started getting lapped on like lap 30. Let's just say the leader gets to me on lap 30. 
by 25 even, right? It's a big gap. Well, now it's not just the leader that's lapping me, right? So if I'm like really slowing down and getting out of the way to let the leader go by, well, then I'm not even keeping up the pace that I was keeping up before he started lapping me. Right. And now I'm moving over and I'm letting everybody go by. And then guess who's going to be coming around a whole lot faster the next time? The leader. So like there's there's a level of this where you go, okay, I probably need to get out of the way and I need to let the leaders, especially if they are battling toward the end of a stage, towards the end of a race. Absolutely. Absolutely. Could not agree more. hundred percent. Do I need to be moving over? for like everybody eight through 12th, like 40 laps into the race. Like, no, I, I, mean, I got a race too, man. Like I'm going to get lapped again. So there's a level of this where I get it. Like I have now been in a position where I've been in a pretty competitive car this year. My team's putting a, a pretty good car on the racetrack and I've run up on lap traffic. And of course you get frustrated, but at the same time, especially if I see a wad of cars, I'm thinking to myself immediately, like, Mm, they might be racing for the lucky dog right here. Like, I don't know. And like, that matters a lot to them. That changes their whole race. Um, I'd say probably the, some of the hardest I've ever raced in my entire life is probably for like a lucky dog where we're like 28th on track. You oh, know? Yeah. And it's like, you just know that that's your entire race. Like if I can get my lap back now, I just beat everybody else that I'm racing because I'm going to be a lap ahead of them for the rest of the race. They'll never be able to get that back. So it's there's a, a couple of different dynamics going on. I appreciate you saying uh, appreciate you saying that, Davey. There's a couple of things going on, and it's interesting to hear Josh kind of echo something that I was thinking too, which is just now that off throttle time when you're in a 550 package, any lift is multiplied, right? Because everybody else that you're racing that has more horsepower, more downforce, a better car, whatever it is. If they're in the gas more than you, within good grief, then you're really getting killed. So I think that's what it comes back to, right? If we give them more horsepower, if we give them less downforce, we do put a little bit more in the driver's hands. We make the tires and tire strategy. Maybe that matters a little bit more, right? So as a small team, like I know I can't just win a probably a straight up race against a team that's got a better car than me, better equipment. Yeah. But could I hope for a quick caution? Maybe the guys burn the good off their tires because I pit... 10 laps later, I have a little fresher tires because that does that equal it out over the course of a race? We saw Brandon Brown in the Xfinity race uh, this past weekend. Everybody came to pit road, 50 laps to go. I was one of them. And I said on the radio to my crew chief, did anybody stay out? He said, yes, 68 stayed out, you know, or did fuel only. Okay. Well, that did not work at all for the first eh, 30 laps of that, but he caught a caution. Came and got his tires, and he was the only one that had new tires at the end of that race, and he drove up to fourth place, right? So this can play out, but I look at the Xfinity Series probably as the standard of higher horsepower, lower downforce, and there's just a lot more parity, and I think that's a good Limited thing. tire sets. Limited land, yeah, in a smaller box of tires where you can't just keep bolting on four tires every single time. I think that's good. That produces good racing. Yeah, I, I love the small teams. We all love the small teams, right? We all love giving attention to the small teams, the Xfinity Series, Truck Series, even Cup Series. And one thing that we saw this weekend that that I think we had, we've talked about in past weeks on the podcast uh, is about 
the cup drivers going to the smaller teams that may or may not be prepared by their cup team, but it's under the small team. Uh, for instance, Chase Briscoe this weekend for BJ McLeod. <laughs> yeah. You know, everyone <laughs> likes to, the, the bump on the uh, bump on the cup drivers racing the Xfinity series, but in a way, it's BJ McLeod Motorsports. Okay, look for everybody for everybody that's listening to this in audio only. I'm doing the the big winking face <laughs> right now, yeah. just the, the Agatha Harkness winking face. Uh, yeah, it's definitely BJ McLeod Motorsports. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah, <laughs> like let's let's settle down. We like we like to use our imagination sometimes, and and I just I just feel like you know I feel like that's better, a little bit better. It's not. You know, I like the way that the cup teams and the cup drivers can kind of help out the, the smaller teams in a way. We know that BJ McLeod, Live Fast, Stuart Haas, they're all kind of, they all do kind of work together a little bit as far as, yeah, now in the Xfinity series, we've seen Harvick uh, run in the five. We, uh, Cole Custer ran in the Rick Ware car, 17 uh, at Coda, and now Chase Briscoe in the 99. We also look at Tyler Reddick, who's ran races for, for our motorsports and now for Jordan Anderson racing. I believe he's running again at Nashville. That was the, that was the plan. I, I like this kind of stuff. I, I do, I do appreciate sometimes. I know a lot of people bashing the cup drivers in the Xfinity series, but I think that's kind of, it's like a median kind of meet in the middle. Okay. Cup drivers. Okay. Yeah. might be prepared by their cup team. They are running under the name of a smaller organization kind of gives them some recognition. I like it just as a viewer to kind of, you know, look at that stuff that way. I mean, I was rooting for Chase Briscoe in a way. We were all rooting kind of because, hey, technically, it's a BJ McLeod victory, you know, <laughs> and, and, and shout out to BJ McLeod. I made a post, I think, the other day. He's the only cup driver, minimum 10 starts without any recorded incident this season. He is, and Tommy Joe, you said so many times, everybody knows in the garage that the one, the saying from BJ McLeod is he's never, he's never going to buy too much stuff. And he's never, he doesn't, obviously nobody wants to wreck a race car, but he's going to run out there and keep it clean. So shout out to BJ McLeod for that. Back to the original point. It's hard, by the the way, that's really hard to do. Very hard. (laughs) As a guy that hits a lot of stuff, let me tell you, it's really hard. (laughs) God, yeah, yeah. One thing that pisses me off is late restarts in the Xfinity series at Charlotte Motor Speedway. We're not, we're not getting to that yet, RJ. Okay, look, <laughs> I'm going to follow up with your point before we start going to Negative Town. It's been a tough few days at the. We need a whole another podcast camp. for that. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. 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 So you want to hear me start crying sad yeah. tears over here? Uh, look, let's talk about the idea here, right? So what you're getting at is it's good for the Xfinity series to have the Cup drivers driving for basically a smaller team, right? Even if it is kind of a hokey pokey deal where we know it's probably a better car than what BJ McLeod Motorsports is putting on the track, but it's still Chase Briscoe. It's still Kevin Harvick driving for the 99, the five, whatever it is. And is that a better situation? 100%. Yes. Like, is it, is, is that the question? Sure. Now we can talk about the 30,000 foot question, which is like, should cup drivers be in the Xfinity series at all? Right. Okay. I'm going to push that aside for a minute. If you're basically saying my options are cup driver comes down cup team or cup driver comes down for small team, but it's, eh, it's probably like a cup prepared car, but it's at least the small team's number on it. All right. I'll take that one. Because at least now we're getting some exposure. We're, we're doing something for the teams that are in the series every week. And I think that's probably good. Now, as the guy that's sitting here competing against them, where I'm like, man, I'm beating the 99 car every week. <laughs> no offense, BJ. I know you're probably going to listen to this. 
but we, I feel like we're better than the 99 car. And then all of a sudden Chase Briscoe's like leading laps. Well then, yeah, that's a little frustrating as somebody that's sitting there in the owner's points, but I can also look at that probably from the top down and go, yeah, that's probably better for the series. And that creates a different storyline than just cup driver, cup team. They come down and they dominate a lesser important race in the weekend. And that's, that's my big thing here, Davey. Like, let's think about it, right? For Chase Briscoe, that wasn't even the most important race he ran that weekend, right? I mean, he's running in the Coke 600. Like, that's mm-hmm. really more of a tune-up for him. More laps, more seat time going on to the Coke 600. And, and that's how those guys look at it. And that's fine. I've just always pulled away from the idea that, that Cup guys promote the Xfinity race because it's like, well, I don't know if they're promoting it as much as they're just like belittling it because even if they win, they're like, yeah, this is good practice for tomorrow. And you're like, well, <laughs> what? Right. Whereas like if an Xfinity driver won it, it's a real celebration and it means something. And it really is like furthering yeah. their career, which is kind of what you want the series to be. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think RJ, you put it really well too. It's it's a good middle ground because yeah. if you put cup drivers in the Xfinity field, no matter how you slice it, there's going to be a group of people that are going to be mad. If you put cup drivers in the Xfinity series and let's say you take Keselowski, right? You put him in a Penske car. That's, you know, it's obvious that he's going to be a contender. And he, if he doesn't win the race, something probably went wrong. But if you put Keselowski in, you know, let's say a different Ford back car, let's go RSS racing for, for sure. example, right? But let's say that car is Penske prepared. Okay. Understand that. As you guys said, this is helping out a smaller team in terms of from a public relations standpoint, more exposure, yeah. running up front, getting more experience, saying, okay, you know, this is what it's like for this team to be involved in a battle up front in the Xfinity series rather than in the mid-pack. That's good. That that is a good thing. And then Tommy Joe, to your point, just like this weekend, Briscoe in the 99, that was a tune-up for the 600. Yeah. The weekend before, Kyle Bush dominated the Xfinity race at Coda. That was a tune-up. Kevin Harvick in the five for BJ McLeod. Wink, wink. Same right. thing, right? You could even argue Tyler Reddick in the 31. That was a tune-up as well. And he he talked yeah. for you know minutes on Sirius XM this week that he had way more fun in the Xfinity race than he did in the <laughs> cup race, which I don't think is yeah. surprising to anybody. Yeah. And people have said that before because you saw him wheeling the you-know-what out of the car. Yeah. So it's a good, happy medium, and it's a good place to be. My question for you, Tommy Joe, as a driver and as a team owner in the series, do you think that that model of cup drivers going down to the Xfinity series, running with potential smaller teams that have the inventory to help out in terms of spots in the field, but we know, wink, wink, it's not really their stuff. Do you think that's sustainable? And would you do it as a team owner if the opportunity was presented to you? Yeah, right. And this is where we get back to like, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? Mm-hmm. So like, if it's being allowed, then yeah, I guess it, it should basically be a free for all in that sense. But I will say, here, here's where I'll go. <laughs> so I have been all the way on one side of the spectrum with this, right? Like, let's look at this like it's a spectrum of colors, where at one end of the rainbow of all the colors is it's a complete free for all. And there is cup drivers winning the Xfinity Series championship, a la Carl Edwards, Greg Biffle. They're running a full Xfinity deal and a full cup deal. All right, so that's one end of the spectrum. And then the other end, in complete black darkness, 
is if you have a cup license at all, you are excluded from running Xfinity Series races or Truck Series races. That's it. Once you commit to cup, you're done. The end. All right. Well, I, I used to be all the way in the blackness is <laughs> where I was. I would say that I have at least come to like some sort of a grayer area. You've emerged from the dark side. <laughs> I've, I've, I've come out of the darkness. I've kind of I've, I've flipped on a nightlight. I'm at least like kind of searching around. There's some candles that are lit in the house. I'm at least looking around. I, I would say that I think the best version of this, Davey, for everybody is crack down hard on the organizational part of this. So if you want Chase Briscoe to get laps at Circuit of the Americas and contractually, he's got to drive a Ford. That's fine. I understand that part of it. What I would say is I want that Ford to truly be a BJ McLeod Motorsports car. And here's why. Because it's not just getting the laps for Chase Briscoe, and it's not just going to be PR for BJ McLeod Motorsports, but truly it would show the talent of Chase Briscoe in a lesser prepared automobile. Could he really like elevate it? Is he just going to absolutely kick it out of the park? Or in part B, it's going to help BJ McLeod or whatever other owner that we're setting up on the soapbox here to really evaluate their equipment, right? So like for me, if I said, all right, yeah, I'm open to that, sure. And let's say that, um, yeah, uh, let's throw a team out there that's a Chevy team. It's Kendrick Motorsports. They go, hey, uh, Tommy Joe, I know this is weird, uh, but we really want Alex Bowman to get some more laps uh, this weekend at Kansas because he's in the, you know, whatever. I mean, just throw throw something out there, Texas, right? Because it's in prep for the Texas All-Star Race. All right. Sure. Okay. This is a weird situation. I don't know why you're calling me, but sure, we can do that. And the thing about it is, like, nobody's been in my car, right? Like, I'm the only one that's driven my car. So if there was a deal where now Hendrick says, okay, here's what we'll do. We'll provide the engine for the weekend. And we'll buy your your tires and we'll cover any damage, or whatever. We're gonna step up financially, we're gonna help your team, but it's like we don't we're not preparing this car, like we're just putting, you know, we're gonna put Alex Bowman in it. Okay, well, in a way, that's gonna probably help me evaluate my equipment too, right? Because now here's a cup winning driver, an elite level guy that I think, and now he's gonna get in my car. And if he's just kicking my ass and we're just running in the top five when he's in it, then I'm gonna go. Mm, looks like Tommy Joe Martin's probably not doing that great of a job. But if he gets in there and he's running 17th, and I'm like, hey, Tommy Joe Martin's looking pretty good right now. And the thing is, that would translate throughout the whole field, right, Davey? So, like, let's say that Kevin Harvick gets in that five car, and it's truly the same five car that Matt Mills was in the week before. But now Kevin Harvick runs up there in the top 20 with it, top 15, maybe nothing crazy, but he's like, he's, you know, staying on lead lap competitive. Well, then Matt Mills looks at that and goes, hmm. Okay, well, that is one of the best in the history of NASCAR, but I've clearly got a little ways to go in my development. I think that's good for everybody. That makes Kevin Harvick look good. B.J. McLeod probably learns something. Matt Mills knows he's got to step up. And so it changes the dynamic there a little bit. And it also, this is where I'm going to kind of veer off a little bit here. I think there is a sense in our sport overall that just a top-level driver could never be seen in an underfunded car. 
like, oh man, that's just going to be damaging to their reputation. We, we couldn't possibly let them get in a car that's not great. Why? We know he's, we know they're great. What, what's them getting in this car going to hurt? It's not going to hurt Kevin Harvick's reputation to run 21st in a race. And also, I don't think it's going to hurt Kevin Harvick on Sundays either. No. Like, I don't think him running mid-pack in an Xfinity race is going to hinder his abilities to run top five on Sunday. Not a bit. And there was yeah. definitely moments in that Coda race where I found myself driving down at the end of the straightaway. And I'm sitting here going, hey, look who I'm racing around right now. I'm racing around Austin Dillon and Harvick. And, and the thing is, in the older versions of the Xfinity series, that would have just absolutely not happened, right? Like they would have been in cup level equipment way up the road. And that was my joke for forever. It was like, I don't know what I'm learning from a guy that's lapping me. <laughs> like I'm probably not learning a lot, but in that race, and obviously I'm in a little bit more competitive car nowadays, but I was actually racing around those guys for multiple laps and kind of seeing how they did things. And I was like, okay, this is cool. And I think that would be a really unique, cool thing but I just don't see it happening because it feels like these manufacturers and I'm not like casting the big scarecrow in the room here. It just feels like they don't want to put their star drivers in a position where they could ever be seen as middle of the pack level person. So they're going to do this phony baloney. Sure. It's the number, but it's really a Stuart Haas car. We're rolling over there. And that's the part of it. I don't like, right? So as an owner, as somebody that has a stake in the points and how this shakes out at the end of the year yeah that's frustrating because i'm like well that's not the team that i'm competing against every year this is kind of a pr stunt if it was really chase briscoe getting in that car then i would actually say no that's really badass and i think that's great for everybody so that's where my i have lit the candles but right now we're (laughs) that's not what that's not what's happening (laughs) some of those guys especially when they hit it right can kind of elevate into that probably not like top 10, but definitely brushing into that top 15, top 20 range. And I think if you're doing that as a driver, especially if you're doing it for an underfunded team, I think that carries weight just the same as it does running well on Sunday. And look to Matt Benedetto, look to Alex Bowman, a couple other guys you mentioned that have run in underfunded equipment in the past. What have they always said? What have they always said? Yes, exactly. What, what have they always said about their their days and their years running in the back of the pack in any series? What have they said? They've said, you know, that made me a better driver. Yeah. What more do you need? Okay. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, Joey, they don't need to become better drivers. They're champions. They're Hall of Famers. They're the best of the best. Absolutely. But you're trying to tell me that champions, Hall of Famers, best of the best don't want to improve? You're telling me that there's not room for improvement right now, especially get out of here with that. So if you have the opportunity to be put in a position that you are not used to, not comfortable with, and don't know what's going to happen in terms of how the car is going to handle the competition that you're going to be racing around because it's mid pack or towards the back of the pack, that will make you, I don't have the experience to say this because I'm not a race car driver, but that will make you a better race car driver in the long run because it has with Ross Chastain, Brian Priest is another one, Benedetto, Bowman, all these guys know what it's like to be in the back and to be in underfunded equipment and to get lapped. And now that they're in the competitive equipment, they are the ones doing that to other people. So going back to our initial point here, yeah. they understand what the lap traffic is going through. And also they understand how to maneuver their cars now that have race winning speed 
and how to get the most out of that because they are getting the most out of a first place car or a third place car. Whereas two, three, four years ago, they were getting the most out of a 31st place car, a 33rd place car and putting that in the top 25. So it's different how that's the, how that stuff works. But I think we're all in agreement here is that if you're able to go into other situations that you're not comfortable with while simultaneously helping out smaller teams in the series, a rising tide lifts all shifts. Yeah. yeah. glad. Look, I would gladly be like, Tommy Joe Martins is retiring from NASCAR. <laughs> if all of a sudden they were like, uh, by the way, Kyle Larson is bringing a million dollar sponsor to Martins Motorsports next year. Like, Sign me up. I, you like, Great. I quit. I will gladly just be the team manager. And I think about like two things here, right? That, that this is going to branch off real quick here because I know we'll move on to something else. But let's take a look at that 31 car for Jordan Anderson racing, right? I think everybody's happy to see them back at the racetrack. Jordan has a great story. He's put together a great team. John Bomarito, the sponsorship he's got there, they clearly have good equipment. And you know how I know that? Because Tyler Reddick got in it. And we know Tyler Reddick is awesome. And Tyler Reddick put that car up in the top five, in the top 10, has run very well now for a couple of weeks. And we know that car is capable, like period. So, if that car all of a sudden is not, well, we probably know the equipment's not the problem, right? So, like, that, that is now gone. So, you evaluate your program very quickly. So, that's a good thing, right? So, that would be in the positive camp. And here's another positive. Let's think back to one of my favorite stories in the history of NASCAR, which is Kurt Busch getting fired from Penske Motors, from Penske Racing, and then having to drive for Phoenix Racing in the 51 car out there in the Cup Series. And people want to know, like, why, did, why does everybody, you know, Kurt Busch doesn't win a whole lot. Why does everybody think Kurt Busch is so good? I think Kurt Busch is one of the most overlooked people. Kurt Busch was in the Cup Series proving he could do it on a smaller team. That's what got him the other shot, right? It's not name recognition. It wasn't anything more than he drove for a small team and overachieved. And then he drove for another small team in Furniture Row and overachieved. And that's what got him eventually his shot back with the big guys. And so how is driving for a small team? How is this bad? I guess I still just haven't understood it. And yet that is something that I see applied time and time again, when really I think it gave Kurt Busch some much needed perspective at the time. And he has even said that, right? Where he was like, yeah, I had no idea that teams could even race this small and then when he got that next opportunity, you saw how much he relished it and, and how much he really took advantage of it and is now still prolonging his career uh, when at a time everybody probably thought it might have been over. Great point. Yeah. Kurt, Kurt Busch, great driver. And let's, let's talk about Kurt Busch real quick. That can, that can be our next point. There were some rumblings this weekend that he could uh, move to another team, perhaps 2311 Racing in a second car next year. Some reports on that. Now, when Chip, when Kurt Busch first went to Chip Ganassi, he kind of like – they made a big announcement. It was kind of like the new, the next chapter of his career um, at Chip Ganassi Race and driving the one. Um, so there's been even speculation that he could retire, head off, you know, right off into the sunset. But now some reports he might go to 2311 as their second driver. Now, first, I'll, I'll ask you, Davey, is this good for Kurt Busch? Is this good for 2311 to add kind of a veteran driver alongside Bubba Wallace as well, if this does happen next year? Yes and yes. Uh, the first thing that comes to mind actually is this would be his first time driving a Toyota in his illustrious cup series career, which I think is kind of interesting. If this comes to fruition, it's good for Bubba Wallace too. 
because Bubba right now, he has the Joe Gibbs Racing foursome to lean on as 2311's obviously a satellite team. We know that, wink, wink, obviously. But he doesn't have a quote-unquote real legit teammate to lean on, compare information with, and he didn't at Richard Petty Motorsports either. So I think having that for Bubba Wallace, who clearly has a lot invested in him, a lot of hype. Drivers Reading Podcast. Well, you know what? We'll throw a little music in there. We'll have a little intermission. <laughs> uh, it's things you can do in the in the podcast world. But we're gonna right jump right back onto it. Kurt Bush. So, I mean, we'll get right to it. Kurt Bush. Just to recap, yeah, uh, could be going twenty three eleven. We David kind of established that that's a good move on both sides for twenty three eleven for Bubba Wallace uh, for Kurt Bush, um, and he was talking about that right before we cut off the air. So. Tommy Joe, what are you thinking about it? Kurt, Kurt Bush, could this be a, a good opportunity for him to head 2311 and a good opportunity uh, for Bubba Wallace as well to have an actual teammate? Yeah, so right before we had our little technical snafu there, uh, Davey and I were agreeing uh, off the record. We both thought it was a really good move for Kurt Bush and for 2311. And this is something that we have known as the general public, right? 2311 is expanding. They release the plans for the shop. There are multiple bays. They are wanting to expand 2311 racing. Um, so that just leaves the candidates. Who is it? Well, I think Kurt Bush is a great choice. Uh, he's a guy that I think is in a pretty good situation right now over there at Ganassi. But as Davey alluded to, is the performance the level that he wants it? What is the financial commitment? that Michael Jordan is making into a NASCAR team and wanting to make a splash. Um, I could see that as kind of the, the sexy place to be right now over there at 2311 Racing. But to steer the conversation in a different place, what does this mean for Chip Ganassi Racing? What happens to the number one car? Who would be the primary candidate if Kurt Busch was to make that move? I don't know. What do you what do you think, David? Who do you think would be a primary candidate to take over the one? I'd have to do some thinking about that. Does the one car stay? That is that's another good question. Do they sell the charter? Charters are going to be in high demand. Do we do a little switcheroo? Sell the charter to 2311. That takes care of them. Chip Ganassi scales down to a one-car operation. There's been a lot of talk in recent years about, and I don't know Chip Ganassi from Adam, but people say that he loves his IndyCar program and his sports car program more than he does his NASCAR program. That's neither he nor there for me to say. But I wouldn't be shocked if they scale down to a one-car team and and get some money for that charter because we know that they're going to be in high demand, and we know that so far they seem pretty valuable. But I also think Chip Ganassi Racing likes winners. So let's try to look at some people that may be on the market after this year. Matt Benedetto. He's not a winner, but he could be. He could be. Eric Almarola going to be a free agent. He is a winner, having a real tough go of it this year. Uh, he could switch manufacturers, go to Chevrolet. That's a possibility as well. I know that there are some drivers I'm forgetting as well. Alex Bowman still technically is going to be a free agent after this year, but he's going to get re-signed by Hendrick. Or do they look down below in the Xfinity Series? Do they look into the Truck Series? Maybe some drivers in the Chevrolet pipeline there. 
Uh, to name a couple, Sheldon Creed in the Truck Series, Zane Smith in the Truck Series, GMS Racing, they have a lot of young talent there, Tyler Ankrum as well. Potential for them to move up? Who knows? We'll see. In the in the Xfinity Series as well, there's a Tommy Joe Martins guy who drives a Chevrolet. I mean, maybe he could get signed by CGR. Who knows? I mean, maybe we'll hear from him on that in a few minutes. But there's plenty of options for them to go. They could sell the charter and scale down. They could buy a charter and scale up. I don't know. Next Gen presents a lot of different opportunities for them. So who's to say what happens to the one car? But yeah. I'm excited to find out. And where does Ryan Newman land? Well, that's he doesn't want to go away. yet, RJ. Well, <laughs> yeah, yet. yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I forgot to add the if. If Brad Koslowski does get yes. the six, Ryan Newman states he wants to keep going. I didn't expect him to just back down and say, you know, retire. Ryan, he Newman's could go to the one. Yeah, it could be a possibility. I mean, I don't, I don't know. There's so many possibilities next year. And you talk about the charters that are going to be available, and there are a lot of charter hungry teams. We got College Racing. We already know is going to want a charter. Twenty three eleven expanding uh what happens uh with dale jr does he do something with junior motorsports is rick Ware going to sell any of them yeah. is he going to be able to keep all four right <laughs> i think I it'd think be a good idea to sell like them. right so but, but think about this okay let i i hate talking about other people's money i just it's can only I, I hate i hate doing it but if i'm rick Ware right now like you did it man congrats like you did it. You got four of these things. You got four golden tickets with the least competitive cars in the grid. Like, if this is like a game of risk and monopoly or whatever, like, you won, man. Congrats. Like, you did it. And now when I think about the future of Rick Ware Racing in the Cup Series, if it's me sitting behind the controls here, I'm looking at paring down. Yeah. And I can use these two charters, right? I sell those as assets. And now I'm going to get that funding back. I'm going to be able to buy my new race cars. I'm going to be able to upgrade my equipment. And I'm going to go into this as a two-car team. And I'm going to look around and go, okay, I got the same car as everybody else now. And maybe we're in a better position. Almost like Aspire Motorsports wanted to take that step this year in preparation for what's coming could Rick Ware make that little step up into that next little group of teams with the next gen car with a pair down? I think, I think there are potential for that. Wouldn't you say that, Davey? I would say so. Absolutely. And again, spending other people's money. Yeah. But Rick Ware racing, right? They have four of these things. It's tough to get them. It's tough to keep them. And I've heard him say Rick Ware and Lisa as well in interviews that their goal here is not to make money. It's not to run around last collect a paycheck and go home. Their goal is to race and to win. But I do think that the smart play here to A, make money to then fund what you want to do yes. is to sell one or two of these things. Yes. And then you can recoup your investment that you made initially because as we said, these charters are in high demand and they are going to get a lot of money for them. And it'd be also really cool to have like a check from Michael Jordan show up in your bank account, but that's neither here <laughs> yeah. nor there. A big check. A big check is, yeah, big, big check. So, I mean, I don't know if they're going to sell any of them. And I think the way that the points are structured right now and how they're, you know, restructuring the car numbers and who's driving what, I do think that they're going to be able to keep all four of them. I think by NASCAR rules, we'll see what happens at the end of the year at Phoenix. But 
it would make sense to me if they were to sell one or two of them. And then that would make 2311 happy. That would make Call of Racing happy. Everybody would be happy. But who knows if Rickware wants to make everybody happy? He, he still might want to run, you know, his four cars towards the end of the field. I know. So something I have to ask about 2311, just as a quick side note here, right? So 2311, name of the team. What's the second car number going to be? Because it kind of has to be 11, mm. right? It's a great point. Yeah. <laughs> so is Denny going to change numbers to, like, give his number to the other guy? I don't know. Everyone always speculates 45 because that was the only other Michael Jordan number. But, yeah, 2311, that would actually be, and I've never thought of it that way. That well, would actually 23 minus 11 is 12, but that's taken that's been- and yeah. is taken. So I guess 13 could land somewhere, but that's unlucky. 14 is taken. 23 plus 11. Are we looking at 15? <laughs> I don't know. These are hard-hitting <laughs> questions. Right. That is, yeah. I legitimately could see a place where Denny Hamlin like, went to Joe Gibbs and said, hey, can we just kind of put – let's put the 11 over – let's put the 11 over there on my That'd team. That'd be bold. You know, I, I, I could see that happening. I really could. If Denny's like, look, this is my number. I want to give it up to my new team. Maybe that's something he does when he retires from yeah. full-time racing, right? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's literally called 2311 Racing. I would hope that they have an 11 over there eventually. <laughs> what, if the, what if they become the first NASCAR team to use Roman numerals because it's pronounced 2311, <laughs> but it looks like 23XI, so we yeah, could be in a, uncharted territory here. It's an XI on oh. the door. Look, yeah. baby, with all the stuff that we've talked about, number placement and everything like that over the last uh, few months, oh, yeah. you know, don't, don't, put anything, don't put anything past us. Oh, oh. You're, you're giving them ideas, Davey. We're giving him ideas. Shut we, up now. <laughs> we can convert to to Roman numerals, maybe. That could that could be the next triple the digits next big thing. Yeah, the, ne- the next big thing. Fractions. That's, Fractions. A NASCAR, that's a NASCAR Thunder 04 move, which you could have like the number six fifty one car out there. Yep. It's like all right, yep. we can basically turn this into motocross, where you just have a bunch of like one to one ninety nine. Local oh. short tracks, you can have the 11B car. Right, that's it. 11B. That's, that's it. See that all the time. One, th- one thing I want to talk about real quick is is we're talking about teams in the Cup Series. Let's let's talk about a little bit about Stuart Haas Racing. I mean, we've, oh boy. we've kind of noted about him in the podcast a little bit, but man, this weekend was just, you had, you had the practice, you had the qualifying, right? This was like a weekend where you're like, all right, we're going to see. And it's kind of a middle-of-the-season race, 600-mile race. All right, we're going to see and evaluate kind of where everybody's at. And Kevin Harvick qualifies top five, rest of the team, not there, finish the race one, two laps down. Harvick does kind of fall back a little bit in the race finishes. I believe he finished 10th, but man, Davey, we'll start with you. What's going on with Stuart Oss racing? I don't know, but uh, I made fun of him in my TikTok this week. So sorry in advance to everybody uh, <laughs> at Stuart Haas. Look, I mean, we know that they clearly are searching for some stuff here. Rodney Childers went on the record and said that they lost about 70 pounds of downforce, which doesn't sound like a lot, but clearly is very, very impactful. It's a lot. Kevin Harvick is still running top five. He's still running top 10. He's still getting top 10 finishes. I think he got his 400th top 10 finish this past weekend at Charlotte. It's incredible. But Cole Custer, I know he won last year. He's still really, really young, and he still has not had a normal quote-unquote year with practice and qualifying in the cup series. So he's still behind the eight ball. Eric Amarola is having the year from hell. He cannot get of it, get out of his own way. And I'm sure that he wants to see something change because his luck has just been absolutely terrible. And then Chase Briscoe, as we talked about earlier, 
he doesn't have practice for qualifying either. So his practice is going into BJ McLeod, wink, wink, Xfinity series car and getting laps that way. Yeah. The organization's not in a great place right now, but neither was Hendrick Motorsports three years ago. And we've seen how fast the tide can turn, right? This sport goes in cycles. Tommy Joe, you understand that RJ as well. I don't think Stuart Haas is going to be down for the count for too much longer. I don't think they're going to win the championship this year. I don't know if they're going to get more than one car into the playoffs. I don't think they're going to get to the championship four, but I do think that this is just temporary and there's going to be some other shifts going on within the organization, potentially swapping some crew chiefs or maybe getting some new engineers in there. 23 or not 23, um, having a partnership with other teams that are in the cup series and also with the next gen car that presents an opportunity everybody to kind of start at ground zero as well. So right now, not good for Stuart Haas, but I think the best is yet to come. Yeah, exactly. I I still look at Custer and Briscoe as the future, right? Like I don't see, I don't see anything super um, big flipping around. You know, some people are overreacting and say, oh man, flip the team upside down. We need new drivers, new crew chiefs. I'm like, well, you know, yeah, like you, like you know, on Davey, no practice, no qualifying. Cole Custer and Chase Briscoe, we've seen what they've done in the Xfinity series, right? Those William guys, Byron wasn't good in his first couple exactly. of years. Look at him now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You just got to get, you know, it's about patience, about giving these guys time. And I know Tony Stewart; he sat there and developed these guys for so long. He's not just going to, you know, give up on them so early. So Custer, Briscoe, they're the future. Harvick, Rodney Childers, those are the duo. Those are, you know, the guys. I'm still looking at Eric Almirola. We know it's been a bad year, full of bad luck. We know Smithfield's kind of in the driver's seat still of whether he gets a ride, you know, next year. Um, but I, yeah, I'm watching that 10 car. I'm seeing, you know, do do they end up moving on? I know, like like I said, Smithfield's sort of, sort of in the driver's seat. What do you think would be a, a good option here, Tommy Joe, for, for Stuart Haas to do kind of in another contract year for Eric Almirola? Yeah, and, and that is the big thing right is we we know how much sponsorship plays into this eric Alvarola is a quality driver he is a quality cup series level driver when you are a four car organization especially one with two essentially rookie drivers right cole custer had kind of a weird year last year let's face it that was a weird year for everybody (laughs) so this is still i'm going to kind of say an extended rookie season for him and now you got Chase Briscoe in a true rookie year with no practice or qualifying like Davey alluded to there. Okay, there's something to be said for having just a pro on your race team. And I understand the results haven't been there. That's a lot of other circumstances besides Eric Almirola. Like, we've seen the guy compete up front. He's not the problem, right? we got a lot of other stuff going on. And when you're seeing Kevin Harvick struggle, that's when you know, okay, we probably got some stuff going on in our organization, right? Like we talked about earlier in the pod about using those elite guys as a barometer for your organization. We know what Kevin Harvick is. We know he's elite. So that's going to kind of tell me where we're at. Uh, What does Eric Almarola do? All right, let's look around. Is there going to be a better option than Stuart Haas? I don't think so. I would think that he would be trying to leave if that sponsorship agreement is there for him. And Smith Seal goes, look, you're our guy. We want to be where you want to be. I don't know why he want to be anywhere other than that 10 car. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think uh, if, if Smithfield's in the driver's seat and Eric Amarola wants to stay, I believe 
that's probably what's going to happen. And, and you never know, like this next gen car, everything can change, right? Yeah. Everyone's preparing, you know, team, some teams that are slacking now could become better. And like, like you alluded to Davey, the way Hendrick Motorsports was three, four years ago, and now they are dominating these series like heck. So I think that's, that's a very it's good not point. Just Hendrick, though, and it's not just Hendrick RJ, it's Chevrolet overall. Yeah. Look at how much RCR has picked up. Track house. Oh yeah. You know, so it's almost a little bit manufacturer based is how I look at this. And if you're a manufacturer, let's say you're Ford and you're going, man, Stuart Haas is struggling. They're a little, they're struggling on their arrow a little bit, but now you're in a year. Like we have talked about so many times on the podcast, it's a dead year for the car. Do you really want to spend a lot of development money on like, oh, well, we got to pick these Stuart Haas cars up there a little bit down. You don't really want to. You're spending that money on next year's car, on the next gen car, on maybe the motor, which is going to wind up being the biggest differentiator of all the race cars out there next year, right? We all know that the cars are going to be the same. So the engine is going to be the biggest thing. So they're probably trying to max out this 550 package. That's where the development money is really going, if I had to guess. So, yeah, like what's the turnaround for Stuart Haas? It's going to have to be probably internal. I don't know what's going to change here over the course of the next you know, next three or four months that's going to really turn things around for the organization, unless it just comes from Rodney Childers brain, who is clearly the guy still spearheading kind of the competition over there, uh, along with Greg Zipidelli, uh, there at Stuart Haas, like they're, they're going to want to be the ones that change things there. I don't think the help's going to be coming from the outside. I don't see Pinsky reaching over there in a cross forward thing to try to pick them up. That's probably not happening. And you talk about moving around internally. I'll just say this real quick. Doing anything with Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick and doing anything with Greg Zipidelli, big mistake. Yeah, doesn't need to happen. No, doesn't need to happen. Yeah, Childers and Harvick definitely need to stay together. It's been a weird year for kind of the entire Ford camp, but one of the bright spots, I feel like, is Chris Buescher. That 17 car. A lot of the broadcast notes him every week. I mean, he's in the playoffs. He's running top 10 almost every week consistently, which we haven't seen from Roush in so long, right? Chris Buescher, but he's a proven winner, Xfinity Series champion. We we're kind of waiting for him to hit it off, spent time at front row. Now we, you know, back at Roush, this is really his home, and you expect him to, to do well, and he's doing really well this season. Are you guys impressed by Chris Buescher? Four straight top tens on mile-and-a-half tracks, I believe. That's yeah, pretty impressive. Think, especially yeah, dating back to Homestead, package. where you want to stage. I mean, that, is, that is real impressive, and he's one of those guys that's so quiet on track and off track. Yeah. He just gets the job done, and as cliche as that is, you look at his stats and you say, okay, he is quiet because you don't hear a lot about him, yeah. but he does get the job done. And Roush Fenway as a whole, too. I mean, Ryan Newman hasn't been running consistently as well as Busher, but he's been up there in the running order with the 17 car for the majority of these races. I know we hit the wall this week at Charlotte, but before that, he was running one or two spots behind the 17. So I've been impressed with them, too. Yeah, yeah I, think and, he cut like, the I look at 12. this almost like, and I'm sorry, RJ, I, I, I look at Chris Busher. In a little bit of a Formula One comparison, right? Because Chris has been in a situation now where it's basically been him versus one other driver for the last three teams that he's been on, right? So that's over at Front Row, uh, that's over at uh, JTG, and now with Roush, right? And the thing that really stands out to me about Chris Busch's career is you have Jack Roush, who we don't really hear from a whole lot very much anymore. And Jack Roush holds a press conference a la Al Davis in the Raiders when he like had to fire Lane Kiffin on, on live ESPN and basically says 
you know, the biggest mistake I ever made was going with Ricky Stenhouse over Chris Buescher. Like that was a mistake and we have now fixed it. Like, first of all, whoa, that's kind of <laughs> big because they basically did an organizational swap, like straight up. And what's the first thing that Ricky Stenhouse does? Goes and sits on the pole of the Daytona 500. Everybody goes, ooh, well, ugh, man, I don't know if this is a good trade. Uh, let's look this. at the stats here. Chris Buescher, there is nothing sexy about Chris Buescher. And if Chris Buescher was on the other end of this phone call, he would probably be laughing right now at how unsexy he is from a publicity standpoint, from like an outgoing personality standpoint, like Davey talked about. But like one of the things I've heard on another podcast I listen to is they talk about the weight of a trophy, right? So like if you won the NBA title last year, uh, that would be like a 10 pound NBA title because it was honestly kind of a weird title, right? Like you're in the bubble, you're down there mm -hmm. in Orlando. It's just kind of a little bit goofy, but like if you won the title and you went up against like these four or five other powerhouse teams and you came out on top, well, that's like a 50 pound title, right? That's a big title. Chris Buescher won a 50 pound Xfinity series title. You know how I know that? Cause he beat straight up basically Hendrick Motorsports, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Chase Elliott coming off a championship level season in the Xfinity series. And he's the one that beat him the next year in what was really a downtime for Roush Motorsports, like Roush racing. Like they were not Roush Fenway. Wasn't like heating up the cup series. Like they had just found something. It was really Chris Buescher kicking everybody's butt down there in the Xfinity series. That is really, really impressive. And everywhere he's been, like I've talked about the Formula One one-on-one -on -one thing, everywhere he's been, he's been the best driver. And the stats back it up. So who's he been up against? Ryan Newman. Do we think Ryan Newman's good? Yeah. Like, I think Ryan Newman's really good. We saw him carry Roush to the playoffs one year, uh, a couple of years ago. We saw him almost win a title without winning a race for RCR. Like, He's good. Okay, well, Chris Buescher statistically is having a better year than him. And then you look at, all right, do we think Ryan Priest is good? Yeah, like we all think Ryan Priest is pretty good. Well, statistically, Chris Buescher was better than him. Michael McDowell, do we think he's pretty good? Yeah, really good rover. Chris. Well, statistically, Chris Buescher was better. So uh, we look at now we can compare somebody like Ricky Stenhouse when they swap situations. Well, who's had a better stat? Well, Chris Bush. So it's like you keep moving him up the rankings and he's so subtle and he's so like non, you know, over the top with the way that he acts with the media and he's just kind of shy in a way. He's just so overlooked. And yet he's sneakily up there. Like you said, he's in the playoff picture right now for a team that we really haven't seen perform at that level, except for what he's doing with them. Most underrated driver in the cup series by far. I agree. I think he has to be. I agree. Yeah, I think it's like I look at that, the Stenhouse and Busher swap. It's like I look at it as the greatest trade that wasn't officially a trade in NASCAR. Like in we need NASCAR like, trades. We need, that. <laughs> we need NASCAR trades. I mean, I just think it worked out so well for both sides. Like I think Ricky Stenhouse is doing. I mean, last year did pretty solid. Had a lot of solid runs in the forty-seven. This year, they they would. I mean, they had the longest top twenty streak. I think of the season to begin this year. Um, over there at, at JTG. I think he's doing well there. Chris Buescher doing amazing this year in the 17. I said, I always just look at it. It's the greatest trade that wasn't officially a trade in NASCAR <laughs> recent memory. Like it just worked out on both sides. And, and it I did. Like, 
Definitely did. And, and probably both of them needed that little bit of a shakeup. I think yeah, especially yeah. Stenhouse, who had kind of found himself in a little bit of a rut there. And it was a little bit of a kind of a, a jolt, right? Like they talk about going to a new city and kind of finding a new life. For Ricky Stenhouse, that was going over to a new team uh, and kind of rebranding himself a little bit away from that Roush uh brand that he had been a part of since he was in a sprint car uh he had been there since arca so yeah it was a big departure uh, for stenhouse but we've seen it work out i would say overall pretty good for both sides but i still think the ultimate takeaway from this is damn chris busher must be pretty stinking good because it's like everybody we put him up against he beats him yep for sure man he's he's a great driver so one of the last things we'll talk about here and wrap up uh the, obviously the big thing this weekend was the coke 600 and the indy 500 Missed the Monaco Grand Prix this year and next year. We found out before this podcast, but um, we did get to see the Indy 500, the Coke 600. A lot of people were comparing uh, the broadcasts of both. Me, we, Tommy Joe, that's another thing we talk about all the time. We've had people like Jamie Little on here, Chris Myers, Alan Bestwick. We love to talk about broadcasting and stuff like that. People were comparing what we saw at the Indy 500 and the Coke 600. So I think all three of us watched both of the races on Sunday um, on TV. Oh, yeah. So, uh Davey, I'll start with you. How, how are you feeling? Did you really kind of look and see kind of what maybe what was better at the Indy 500 compared to what we saw <laughs> the Coke 600 on? Hey, Davey, would you like to get in trouble? Is that what <laughs> no, I'm just saying very, a little comparison. Very careful here. Very, very careful. Very careful. I know you let mentioned me, something about drones. Let me say first off that I am an NBC employee at NBC Sports Washington. <laughs> freelance. Okay. So let me put that out there. Um, but if Fox Sports, if you're hiring, come get me. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm available. Um, I, I will say this, you know, you can, we can nitpick the broadcast and we do a lot of people do, and I work in television. So I understand, you know, the ins and outs, how the sausage is made for lack of a better term. It is so hard to put together a TV broadcast for a live sporting event. NASCAR is so incredibly difficult and there are so many talented people that work on these broadcasts. Now, this is the thing where you say, oh, no disrespect, followed by copious amounts of disrespect. I'm not going to give copious <laughs> amounts of disrespect because I thought the Fox broadcast for the Coke 600, it was good. It was fine. There's just some things that I think when you look at the Formula One broadcast with Sky Sports, which is like the top tier gold standard. Elite. Yes. And then you see the Indy 500 broadcast with an extensive, unbelievable, paramount, pompous pre-race show. Um, the race itself was unbelievable. Letting the broadcast breathe when Elio wins the race. I'm, I, I want to look back and see how long it took for the booth to say anything during that celebration. It had to be at least two to three minutes. Yeah, It was so, so fun to watch that. And then the Coke 600, I had a tweet about the drone that like got some people mad for some reason. All I said was I didn't like the drone besides the burnouts. <laughs> and then people got mad about that. Yeah, they did that was on the my opinion. Start, I think, right? Um, yeah. And then the other thing was Martin Truex Jr., who dominated this race a few years back, he was sitting on pit road for nine laps because they couldn't get the tire off his car. And I, I legitimately did not know if I heard it on TV or not. I had no idea so, until you so, tweeted it. Until I saw your so, tweet. So I tweeted I no it idea. out, see if anybody heard it. And then, you know, chaos ensued. So look, <laughs> it's hard. It's harder broadcast these races. For 600 miles, you got to find some stuff to talk about. And Jay Leno talking about sex, comparing it to race car driving on the <laughs> broadcast. That's cool. That's fun. But again, when as, as a race fan and, and as somebody that covers is the it, sport. Is it though, Davey? Is it I don't know. Fun? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. In, in the right time, maybe. 
but as a race fan and as someone that covers the sport, I like to be inundated with stats and inundated with information. Yeah. And uh, at Mac. some points, I don't feel like I am, but that's neither here nor there because they're doing the jobs way better than I could ever do. Oh, yeah. Okay, here we go. I'll be the negative guy. All right, that's fine. I'll be, I get it. I'll be the negative guy here. Uh, we talked to Alan Beswick on this podcast, RJ, right? And Alan Beswick said it best. He said, the problem now with NASCAR coverage, when we have compared NASCAR coverage in these broadcasts to the older days of NASCAR, everybody longs for the older days of NASCAR coverage. And man, they talked about everybody through the field and all this kind of stuff, right? And we hearken back to that. We, we, we long for the, for the days of yesteryear. And Alan's comeback was, well, the problem is now the, the broadcast is so tight and we have stages and there's more cautions and there's more going on and there's more sponsor plugs. And there's just, there's more stuff that we have to do in the booth. It doesn't allow us to just have those long periods of kind of letting it breathe. Like Davey said, where we can just kind of toss it around. Let's go down to the pits. Oh, let's find out. Uh, but that guy that wrecked a uh, you know thirty laps ago. Let's just talk to him down there. Like we're, we're just going to fill some time with some other stuff going on. What better spot to do that than a six hundred mile race? <laughs> it's a six hundred mile race. You're telling me we can't find some time in this? Uh, it just feels a little forced. That's the problem. Whereas the thing about that Indy five hundred broadcast, it seemed extremely genuine. Every bit of it, the reactions from the people uh, in the booth, uh, all the way down to the celebration of Helio Castroneves winning his fourth Indy 500. It was so authentic. It was so real and pure, and there was nothing fake or kind of contrived about it. And it feels like that is the way that we've gone with the NASCAR broadcast, right? Like we're, we're getting into kind of forced territory. And the thing that we talk about from a competition standpoint that everybody immediately commented on on Twitter, I'm not the only person bringing this up, so maybe I'm not going to get in trouble for it, but it was the idea of the stages, right? So the, the Indy 500 was the fastest Indy 500 that's ever happened, right? They brought that up a couple of times. It was the fastest Indy 500 ever. It had two cautions in it, and they were both very legitimate. It was like wreck on pit road, wreck coming out of the pits. All right, we got to clean this up, and then we're back to racing, and then we raced. That allowed for a lot of different strategies to kind of play out over the course of that race. And, and you're talking about a race where the cars are having to pit like every 35 laps, right? So there, there are several pit stops that they're having to make through the race, but the way they can save fuel and change the strategies quite a bit was very organic. Whereas in an NASCAR race now with the stages – in a 600 mile race where we're breaking it up into four stages now that kind of takes away some of that. And it just feels a little more contrived, especially when you watch it back to back. Um, it feels like there's a lot more stop and start with the NASCAR race versus the 8500, which and again, unfair comparison, right? Because we just said it was the fastest Indy 500 of all time. Yeah. But it felt like it, there was just a lot more flow to it than the NASCAR race had. And so that's the thing that really sticks out to me is I go, all right, the initial pitch here with stages was you're going to get more green flag racing. 
because we're going to have some built-in natural commercial breaks now. And actually, even on the competition side, I sat here and went, well, okay, well, I mean, that, I get it. You know, we're putting on a television show here. We're going to need some cautions. I understand. Like, and really, you know what cautions are also good for? The people at the racetrack. They get to get up and use the bathroom during a four-hour race. So it's fine. Like, cautions are fine. Even cautions that are scheduled. I don't have a problem with that. But when you do compare it back to back, it does stand out yeah. big time. And it didn't feel as effective on the NASCAR broadcast. And there was still plenty of dead time. And that's where I'm going to argue with the broadcast quality a little bit is it's like, all right, well, if you're going to tell me that the main reason that we can't go into a lot of depth of the field here is we just, you know, man, 400 mile race, those are over really quick. We just don't have enough time. All right, we got a 600 mile race now. You got plenty of time. Like we're talking, we got Jay Leno up there talking. We got time here. And I don't think that's adding anything to the broadcast really for the viewer. And that was my issue. Like, and Davey, you brought up a really good point here about the pomp and circumstance kind of before the race. Well, it's kind of the same for the Coke 600. I mean, it's a big deal. And the build up to that felt so awesome in the 8500. And I get we're dealing with still some COVID remnant stuff. Like I, there's a lot of other stuff going on here. So I'm not just completely piling on. But the reason these, these things stood out so much back to back is because they did feel so different. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. They got a lot of stages in the race. Uh, they're, they're so different. You know, Indy 500 was pure. It just ran through quickest Indy 500 ever. And now you got, you know, the Coke 600 uh, with four stages, kind of, you know, cautions here and there, different segments throughout the race. You know, the only thing that kind of annoys me just a little bit about the stages and the, the Coke 600 is just kind of the strategy part that's taken away. And there's still a strategy in between each stage, but it seemed like each stage was the same, right? It was all just repetitive, yeah. right? All right, we're going to split the stage in half, stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four, uh, all the green flag pit stops. You know, the Indy 500, that's a pretty good strategy. I mean, you had some guys that were staying out late in the race. And But now one positive thing that I did see on Twitter um, Yes, I saw a positive thing on Twitter. Um, <laughs> somebody said that this on Sunday we got to hear Alan Bestwick, Lay Diffie, and Mike Joy on national television. Yeah. Amen. Amen. How about that? I think that's an awesome thing. Now the Xfinity series, I really enjoyed the Xfinity series broadcast. I don't know if you went back and watched it, uh, Tommy Joe. Uh, if no, you I have not for the yet. obvious reasons. Uh, yeah. I think the race. I have yeah, not. yeah. But Are you busy. And then the positive spectrum. I, I really enjoyed the experience, Brian. I thought Kevin Harvick, Logano, uh, Blaney, that was the booth. Uh, they actually knew, you know, we're talking about the field a lot more than I would expect them to, a lot more than driver analysts usually do. They were talking about the field kind of deeper in the field, the smaller teams as well, um, and provi provide a lot of great insight. The camera work was great, showing a lot of great battles through the field. A lot of green flag runs, obviously, was pretty cool. Uh, pretty, you know, good battle with Gibbs and Briscoe there at the end. I enjoyed the Xfinity series driver driver analyst broadcast. I know Davey, you watched it. Um, Tommy Joe hasn't gone back and watch it, but I, I did you enjoy the drivers uh, drivers only broadcast, Davey? One time a year, that's cool with me. Yeah, and one time put, a year, I like. Yeah, it. And, and you put some drivers in the booth every now and then. Uh, that's also cool with me. And I also got to be careful with what I say here too. But as somebody who went to school for four years and got a journalism degree. He's an aspiring broadcaster. Preach. Um, I would like to see some more representation for 
trained professional yes. broadcasters and or <laughs> yeah. opportunities for selfishly people like me to do what they're doing. Yeah. But I enjoyed what I saw. I think Fox and their idea with that is very, very smart. Uh, it's, it's a great marketing idea and it's, and it's executed pretty well too. I mean, yeah. Jamie Little was on pit road with Eric Jones and it was cool too, because I think you had Eric Jones and, um, God, I forget who the other driver was, but they were interviewing their former crew chiefs yeah. during the race. That was a pretty cool moment. So I like the drivers broadcast once a year is plenty for me. Once a year. Yeah. Me and Tom and Joe, we talked about this a while back. A few, oh, I remember. few podcasts I remember. ago. Yeah about the driver analysts going up there and it does it does yeah it aggravates me a little bit how we got some guys sitting in the charlotte studio who i would like to hear in the booth for a race to provide some insight through the field uh, i know michael waltrip does a great job during the truck series of, he really does a great job like i feel like it's really underappreciated the way he gets the sponsors out there i feel like yeah. anytime he recognizes somebody the smaller teams um smaller names you know the young guns i feel like he does a great job getting them out of there Ale adam alexander as well um, we, we really appreciate, uh, in this household, Adam Alexander, yes. Michael Waltrip, all those guys. This is a pro Adam Alexander podcast. Yes. Very, very pro Adam Agreed. Alexander. Uh, he loves, I love when he gives Tom, Tommy Joe a nice little shout out on the Xfinity broadcast, uh, and everybody else too. It's, it's really cool. I love, I love Phil Parsons. I wish we got more Phil Parsons. His insight's pretty good for the truck series. I know, I think he didn't, I think he did an Xfinity race this but year. What are we talking about RJ? We're talking about broadcasters. Yep. Right, like, do you know what makes the best broadcast? Broadcasters, <laughs> not 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 people that haven't been trained to do it. You know, so yeah, yeah it's fun. Like Davey said, or once a year thing. Sure, I get it. And why wouldn't you do it in an Xfinity race? Like, right, you're not going obviously you're not gonna do it in a Cup race. You do it with these Cup stars come down there and broadcast the Xfinity race. But naturally. My biggest problem with any of it when they do it and, and where I run into my issue with it is the consistency of changing up the driver analyst every week and the feeling in the booth, right, is like, well, I got to get this guy. I got to get him involved or right? I can't just have him to stand. <laughs> we can ask Ryan Blaney to come up here and then just not talk to him. But like how much is Ryan Blaney? really going to know about the depth of the Xfinity series field. Like he's not going to know all the drivers in the field. Like that's not his job. His job is to drive that car on Sunday. So to me, it's like, it's a better broadcast. If you had somebody and I'm going to use, use an example, Davey, like if your job was literally cover the Xfinity field, well, then you're going to know every story. Yeah. And so when something happens, you're going to go, Oh man, that's a really tough break for uh, the 52 team there. You know, actually they had, uh, they didn't qualify for Charlotte. And so, man, that's really, they're on a really tough run right here. That's really unfortunate. Like, you know, this year has just not gone the way. You're going to know that, right? You're going to be able to expound on it when something happens. Whereas Ryan Blaney is going to be like, man, tough hit. It's like, all right, thanks, man. <laughs> you know? Like, he's going to only going to be able to speak to what he knows, which is like driving the car. Mm -hmm. And okay, this is what he just experienced. And that's fine. But it's, it's not going to give you the depth in the color that you want from a broadcast to like expand on the field. And so you're talking about down in the truck series, Michael Waltrip and um, uh, Phil Parsons. Well, they're spending a lot of time down there in that series and they know a lot of the people. Yep. And that's why they add so much to the broadcast. Yeah. Now there was this one I want to highlight real quick that I felt like did a really good job, uh, surprisingly really good job was Andy Lally 
for yeah. uh, for when he did the the truck race. I thought he did a tremendous job. I know as a road course, he knows a lot about the road course racing, but he seemed to know a good amount of names throughout the field too, and was really impressing me. Like knowing the names and the teams, the drivers. I mean, I know you got a sheet, you're looking at it, but he was really just spot on with his knowledge. I think I would say if we had a rankings of like best driver analysts of the year, if we ever made that. I would put Andy Lally definitely near the top. I really appreciated his work. I want to give a shout out real quick to the guy that we have brought on as a guest of the podcast here because Davey has literally worked the beat down there in what is now the ARCA uh, East and West series. And he has literally been all the boots on the ground guy for NASCAR digital media and stuff doing these interviews with lesser known drivers and trying to get everybody involved and do more different stories and all this kind of stuff. So he understands it. Like, Davey, you've been there. You've been in that position. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that. And what I always tell people is, you know, for every Haley Deegan, Sam Mayer, Derek Krause, there's a Robert Pulowski, Takuma Koga type driver. Like, Takuma Koga, how many people know about him? Did you know that he's been in, I was going to say K&N, Arco West for almost 15 years, and he flies back and forth to and from Japan for every single race. Do you know that? That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. That's what I'm saying. That's what you get when you have somebody that's on the beat covering the sport, covering the series. It's it's invaluable. I love my time there. It was great. And you don't hear about Takuma Koga a lot, but when you're able to be around it like that, you get other stories like that that enhance the viewing and the listening experience. And there's a difference here too, RJ, and like what what Davey just kind of referenced there. Okay, so like he spent a lot of time in that series, so you know the players in the series. So now when you're asking some of these pit reporters, like Fox is asking them, and this is not me ripping Fox, by the way, like we've talked about some of the things that financially are some of the, the issues with this, right? Like do they really want to fly like nine different reporters for three different races? No. Not really. No, you're going to use the same reporters for multiple races, but then you're kind of stretching them pretty thin, right? Because like, what's really the most important part of their weekend? The Cup Series, right? So you kind of have to rank this in importance of time, realistically. So you're going to get to know probably like the main players in the lower series, and you're going to probably know a little bit more of the depth up there in the Cup Series. And I think that's natural. But, but I would say that it does add more to the broadcast if you could have some people that were more dedicated to those individual series because I just think they would know more. They would spend more time there. They would yeah. get to know more, and those stories would would probably occur a little more often on the broadcast. I just want to close by saying this one thing just to, to bring it all together. None of us could do the job that the pit reporters do, that the producers, the directors, everybody behind the scenes does. As I said, I work in television on a very small scale. Like I make graphics for Wizards games. Whoopee, <laughs> right? Very small scale. So, but I understand the amount of manpower, effort, time oh, yeah. that it, it all takes. And for all the nitpicking that NASCAR Twitter and NASCAR fans do, which is their right, because their sport, they want they it to do. be the best that it can be and showcase the best that it can be. Fox and NBC, all the television partners, they do a really good job. And I think you can love something and want it to be better. And yes. I think that's yes. that's the whole point of a discussion like this, where you're analyzing something because you want the end product for all parties involved to be better. So I just wanted to exactly. make sure everybody heard that. 
yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, being being young in this, I know you just had Dawson Cram on your podcast, I believe, right? He was mo- your most recent guest. Like, yes, sir. Being young in this, I mean, interviewing anybody big, you know, talking to people big, doing a report or something like that, like that's great. But I don't know if you share like the same thing. I find so much more interest and fun interviewing like a smaller team, like a younger driver, something like that. I feel like I just find out so much more, and they have like a vision, like a dynamic of the series too. They see it from a whole different perspective. I like doing that. I don't know. That was that would be my last question to you. I don't know if you share the same uh, belief as that. I love interviewing the or talking to smaller teams, smaller drivers. It's so much fun. I mean, me just being young in this, getting started. I don't know if you share the same thing. No, I do. And I've told Dawson. I I had Corey Roper on the week before. I literally told them to their face while we were recording. Uh, I said something to the extent of quote. I don't know a whole lot about you, so I don't think a lot of other people do either. (laughs) And that's what I like about getting to know these younger drivers that are relatively undercovered, underappreciated, because everybody, as cliche as it is, everybody's got a story. And just like people know the name Dawson Cran, they may not know that in his first ever race, he ran over a pit crew member and then ran into him two years later. And now he's running a pit crew facility type deal. And he goes to it every day. Like it's stories like that. You know what I mean? People don't know that Corey Roper in the truck series, uh, his first ever race got snowed out at Martinsville and his team was taking conference calls in the semi on their way back to Texas from Martinsville. People don't know these things. So I, I agree with you, RJ, getting to know the smaller drivers and the teams. It's fun because not a lot of stuff is covered with them and you don't know a whole lot about them. So you're able to learn a lot of different things. I know. And I just look on the podcast. We've talked about that as a little bit of a missed opportunity, Davey, where we go, okay, what is probably a little more relatable content to most people? I think that's (laughs) a lot more relatable than than what we sometimes wind up putting on screen. And I get it. We want to showcase the people that we think are exceeding expectations and winning and going to move up to the next level and all that. I totally get it. But I also think that we wind up missing out a lot of those stories that I think are relatable to a much broader audience. Yeah, exactly. So we'll wrap this up real quick with just our predictions this weekend. Every series is going road course racing this weekend, just in different places. We got the Xfinity Series, Mid-Ohio, Cup Series, Sonoma. So Cup Series, Sonoma, I mean, Kyle Larson, been fast at road courses before. Hendrick Motorsports has a ton of momentum. Who we got? Cup Series at Sonoma. I'll go, David. You go first. I'm going to go real outside the box here and take Chase Elliott. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's the uh, the all time number one road course pick oh, at yeah. this point. I would say uh, I'm not going to get out of the Hendrick stable here. I'm just not doing it. Uh, I'll tell you a guy that really impressed me at Sonoma though. A few years ago, when he won the pole at Sonoma. That's William Byron. William Byron. Uh, and I think he would be a pretty good pick uh, there this weekend, as well as that team's been running. Yeah, I would I would look for, uh, I really feel like this has got to be a week. I said this at Dover, but I feel like this has got to be the week. Harvick's been good at Sonoma in the past. Not Never been super good road course ra- racer, but he's been good at Sonoma. I feel like I just, in, in my heart, I think this has got to be the week that we get, we get a big week from the four team. But as for a winner, yeah, I'm going to stick in the Hendrick stable. I, I will go with William Byron. He was good the last time we were there. Um, and they're obviously just even better than they were then. So I would go with William Byron. Xfinity Spectrum, Mid-Ohio. Who we, who we picking to win that? We'll go with you, uh, Davey, again first. Justin Allgaier. Good road course racer. Yeah. I got a feeling we're in the mood for an upset at Mid Ohio, and I don't know who it's going to be. Forty-four That's car. 
Yeah. He could absolutely be in the mix of this thing. I feel really good about our chances. Um, but I'm going to go a little bit of a weird upset here. Who has been like sneaky good on road courses um, that can maybe knock off that Austin Cendric deal? I could just totally see Austin Cendric versus AJ Allmendinger at the end of the race and the two of them get into each other a la Daytona, right? Where the two of them got into each other at the Daytona road course. I could see that happening because we, we've seen them be the dominant people. Um, and I could see somebody like, uh, like Justin Allgaier sneaking in the mix. I don't know if I would put my money on that horse. I might see, look at a guy like Noah Graxon, maybe turning his season around uh, a little bit with a win there. Um, good road course racer has performed well there. Mid-Ohio, tough to pass. There's just not very many opportunities there. And sometimes to get around people, you got to use the bumper. I don't think Noah's ever been really afraid to use the bumper. I, I could see him being pretty aggressive there. Oh, yeah. For sure. I would, I would say, yeah, I'd look right in that area. We could, I, I'm kind of feeling that too. A little upset winner. Um, you know, when you mentioned the leaders reckon, I could think that's, that sounds like a Justin Haley win to me. sounds yeah. like a Justin Haley yeah. sitting around and he's been pretty solid on the road courses. I could see Justin right. Haley sneaking in a win at mid Ohio. Yeah, uh, but I think we all fun. agree here that the two dominant cars that we're probably going to see are going to be the 16 and the 22. I mean, they have been oh, the yeah. standouts on these road course races. It's going to take something crazy to beat him. So, yeah, well, we had to we had to follow up this long racing weekend, the longest race of the year with uh, a multiple stage long podcast. Mm -hmm. We had to mock the Coke 600 as much as we can. So here we are, man. Awesome. Thank you, Davey, for, for coming on with us, joining the, yeah, the conversation. Um, love everything that you do. Glad glad you listen to the podcast and glad to have you on as a guest. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on, both of you. Big fans of the show. Big fans of you two as individuals. So, Tommy Joe, best of luck this weekend. Pull off that upset with a old 44, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Davey. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, oh, yeah. Hopefully make some more Wizards. Uh, hopefully you're making a Game 7 Wizards graphic. We hope Gri Grizzlies and 7 Wizards <laughs> and 7, right? Grizzlies, Wizards, NBA look, Finals. If we, look, if we, saw if we both get back to a Game 7, Dave, we're going to wind up having you back on. Yeah, we're, we know we're going to have to. All right, so that's that's been another episode of Drivers Meeting Podcast. We'll see you guys next week. If you made it this far, we'd like to thank you for listening to the Drivers Meeting Podcast today, wherever you may be, and hope you stay tuned for upcoming episodes on Apple Podcasting, Spotify, the Believe Podcasting Network, and much more. I'm not your stepping stone. I'm just your stepping stone. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.